Hello, podcast listeners. You are listening to another episode of The Long Journey Home. I am your host, Corbin Johnson, leaving work on a Friday. You may not hear this today. Um, it could happen. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. thought we'd catch up today. I'm not going to do a news episode per se, but let's just talk about some Trek and what's going on in the Trek world. We got a bit of feedback from one of our listeners, and I thought I'd play that for you now. Hi, Corbin. This is Charlie Plain, Midnight List Channel Forums. Uh, fan of your podcast, uh, even though I don't always agree with everything, but I just listened to the daily news from, I want to say it was the 27th or the 28th, and you talked in your philosophy of Trek segment about Project Rose. Uh, there was a bit of a, maybe it's a misconception on my part, but I wanted to clear it up. Um uh, <coughs> In, in my hindsight article for second edition, I, I had said that uh, we had sort of lost a little bit of our affiliation matter, and that was one of the impetus between phase two. And uh, it's, it's not that, that we have lost all of that. It's not that all of the affiliations have blended into one block, <laughs> that it doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, it's just that we sort of very much blurred the lines between, between uh, their identities, where you have uh, affiliations going into the discard pile, affiliations getting lots of skill gaining, and, and what really made it hard to design was sort of the proliferation of abilities on non-aligned. Uh, the Orions from set 14, from what you leave behind, were a good example of this. Uh, when you have non-aligned with such powerful abilities, it's very difficult to make affiliation cards that people will use over those uh, without going into sheer escalation. So... Uh, it's not that 2E has completely lost things, and I don't want to say that, you know, all of the CC era cards are terrible and a horrible job with affiliation flavor. That's, that was not the case, but uh, I think that we can do better and that we can sort of take the time to redefine where the boundaries are and redefine where the, the lines are drawn and what goes in what bins and uh, make a better game. Anyway, uh, more about Project Rose coming soon, very soon, hopefully. And uh, keep making podcasts. They're great to listen to. Have a great day, and uh, live long and prosper, everybody. All right. Thank you, Charlie, for your feedback. I'm sorry for misconstruing what my understanding of Project Rose was all about. I'm really excited about this, actually, because I think Charlie's points are valid that non-aligned has become kind of go-to in some regards. Um, Greasy Ducat, the Orion Slave Girls, like he mentioned... I'm sure there's other really good examples of this in 2nd edition. So it's good to hear that we're taking the time to look back at the affiliations and see what gave them their specialness in the first place and see if we can, I guess, build upon what was there already. And it's just going to be exciting to see what comes out of Project Rose. So, And I can't beat the name of the project, right? Uh, so uh, go Doctor Who. All right, so what else is going on in the truck world? Well, the first, the 2014 regional foils have been spoiled for everyone. The cards are executive authorization for first edition, the Dalrock for second edition, and 100 score for tribbles. So I guess we can just talk about them because they're interesting cards. So executive authorization, I guess we'll start there has always been a great go-to dilemma 
when you're like, hmm, I need a planet wall, and uh, it, it just has to be good. <laughs> and, and in general, it is a really good card. Uh, I don't know. I, if, if you're looking for, I guess, just a, a general wall, maybe you're down to only 12 dilemmas in a deck or something like that, I would see that being more useful there than, say, a deck needing where you could do 18 and could probably do something a little bit more creative for a planet dilemma combo. With executive authorization, it, the obvious way to get around is with a pad. Pads are easy to... Uh, they tend to be uh, downloadable. Most decks include pads to get around this dilemma specifically. And pads in general are pretty good because they usually give you cunning plus two unless they're one of those skill-gaining ones, in which case the actual benefit of having it is uh, hit or miss. So, my guess... I have to wonder when Decipher approached this card, though. Were they going... You know, is this a bottom-up or top-down design? I mean, I really think it's very much bottom-up. I really think they were going, okay, we need a dilemma that is going to make these kinds of cards more playable. All the weird keyword types. Make you have a reason for taking them with you. Maybe there was some idea of them just sticking around at home doing nothing. I don't know. That doesn't make much sense in 1E, actually. Um, trying to deconstruct this card. So, would they want more pads to be played? Did they just want a more interesting wall? Just to give some interesting variant? Was this a sealed decision? Maybe? Uh, I seriously doubt that. This card is tough to get past in sealed deck. Or, if not impossible. If you don't have a pad in your deck, forget about it. Uh, I mean, it's rare, so it'd be hard. But then you might just go do another mission. But it's just very difficult dilemma. So... Was it bad design? I don't think so. Uh, it's a good wall. I'm, I don't see a lot of problems with it. And I'm having a hard time kind of trying to figure out what the justification was for the card's creation in general. So it's a really well-rounded card all around. And I play with it on occasion just because it's so... It's a pretty tough wall. So, all right. The second edition card was the Doll Rock. This was from In a Mirror Darkly. Um, there was, there's already a... F- I think it came as a foil in the set, maybe? I don't know. Now I'm not sure. But uh, as a card, this is one of the better dilemmas that you can play with in 2nd edition. Except that it whiffs against non-headquarter decks, which is unfortunate. So with that in mind, and with the popularity of relativity, or the so-called popularity that I keep making up, I'm sure... I see it played a lot, actually. It got second and third place at the Nationals in Kentucky, which is... Or no, not there. Uh, The Nationals in Canada was where it got second and third place, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing to see that this affiliation that came out of nowhere just, boom, we're taking second and third place at Nationals. Cool. So, what am I trying to get at? So, it is somewhat popular. If you play the Doll Rock against that... The card simply whiffs, so when you draw it, you just don't use it, which is fine. Uh, it's it's anti-dual dual headquarter and triple headquarter hate, if you will. And it's easier to stock than, say, the non-aligned guys from the last two E-set, or two two E-sets ago. So, uh, I definitely try to keep at least one Dalrock in my Dilemma piles, uh, especially for uh, any sort of attrition. 
the fact that you get it back too is really good. So it's also, uh, I guess you could say it's anti-cadets in some way. Uh, not that it specifically says bad cadets, but they tend to be cheaper costed because they're cheap, right? So anyway, um, yeah, this dilemma is, um, is a great choice for a promo. Uh, one of my favorite go-to dilemmas. So, uh, the last one was, we didn't really talk about the images, but the images they chose were interesting. The executive authorization has an image, uh, from Star Trek six on it. That's kind of cool. And the Dalrock rock image is nice. I, I kind of like the original one better, but this one's good too. So, uh, finally you've got the tribbles is 100 score. <laughs> by, uh, yeah. Uh, if, if at local tournaments, the uh, score pun or using score in the uh, not-so-innocent way has come up before. Well, now it's going to come up a lot more because the image is simply of Riker, not Riker. <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, it's an image of Worf and Jedzia wrapped up in a triple blanket doing their thing. So it's, yeah, uh, it's a great image and... Uh, I think uh, players are going to have a lot of fun with that. That means that, uh, I guess technically, all of all Star Trek games are now virtual. Uh, are, are simply, what am I trying to say here? They are all uh, living card games at this point, which is fantastic. And I should do a whole show devoted to that. And they will be, I mean, February 3rd. But um, <clears throat> Tribbles is technically one card away from being one or two cards away from being fully printable at this exact moment. So, uh, no one cares anymore because everything's printable, and I'm really excited about that. So, that's all the promos. I'm really excited to hopefully win a few of those at uh, this year's regionals. Alright, so what else is going on in the Star Trek world? I've built another deck. How exciting. I'm sure you want to hear all about this. It's a 1E deck. Sorry to all the 2E listeners, but I guess we'll talk about it. I didn't build this, though. It's a ripoff of the winner I want to talk about this, actually. It's, it's interesting that this particular deck was able to win at a regional, um, at the Canadian, not, uh, it was at the Canadian Nationals, that this 1E deck was won by, I'm not, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, but uh, it's, it's a uh, Bajoran Federation TOS Office of the President deck, and it uses Bajoran, uh, I'm sorry, the, uses the treaty, the Fed Bajoran Treaty, uses Bajoran Resistance Cell, uses Sherman's Peak, uses the Cetacean Institute, so you can see George and Gracie, and it's got a lot of admirals in it, it's got VCM in it. What I'm, what I'm worried about, it's a small deck, it's a 42 card deck, which is really great, it only has three cubes Fajal Collectors in it, and I guess, okay, so you can get the draws from the Resistance guys. I guess you download one of the Resistance guys early on and hope to draw the other one later. Makes sense, fine, fine. And then you can get draws from that. The only other draw engine is three Cubes Fajal Collectors in the deck and the VCM. I guess that's enough, because he won the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle, uh, beating Ken Tufts at, uh, at the regional, which is uh, at this uh, national, which is, you know, good for him. That's great. So what makes this deck so good? I, I really don't know. <laughs> it uses Q's Tent Civil War. Um, it looks like you're playing one, two, three three guys and then something else to turn for free if you've got the draws to support it which I guess so four guys per turn are free that's great it only has two ships in the deck 
Oh, I'm sorry, it has four ships in the deck. Uh, two of them you can get with Hidden Fighter. Um, Delta Flyer, of course, makes a lot of sense. And um, the other one is the USS Rio Grande, which has a range of seven. Um, it's 755. It's not as good as the Delta Flyer, but probably the next best ship. I subbed that out, actually, for the uh, Ganges, I think it was, from Emissary, because it has range 85, I think it's 845 or 855. That's, it's, uh, I think, strictly better. Uh, downloads Vegnite North instead of activate uh, Tractor Beam, but neither card's in the deck, so it doesn't matter. So, yeah, uh, so um, sub that in, get a little extra range. It's got the Future Enterprise in it, and I think that's where the majority of the fun comes from. And now that I think about it, there really isn't a good way to get the Future Enterprise out of them to draw it or getting Admiral Riker out. So it might be interesting to add to this deck going to the top because there's a lot of Admirals in the deck. So I should look into that, actually. Um, so, right, so the proportions of the deck are roughly 25% Bajorans, 25% Admirals, and guys can report for free to the Office of the President, and the rest are TOS guys. Um, all the mains... Uh, basically, except for Bailey. Oh, and it's got... Uh, this is interesting. I think the I think the secret of the deck is that it downloads equipment uh, from all the TOS guys. They download... Um, like you've got Sheer Dax, O'Brien, uh, Chekhov, Sulu. Sulu doesn't download anything, but he's in the deck. Um, you've got... All these guys can download different uh, pieces of equipment. Um, so obviously, uh, Dax and O'Brien, uh, they, they don't report for free to, t- to Sherman's Peak. You have to play them as your normal card play. And there's no crew reassignment in the deck, so you can't pull off the, um, play those guys for free to the Starship Enterprise trick at Sherman's Planet or Sherman's Peak or whatever. But, uh, regardless of that, uh, the deck seems like it's pretty solid. I, so, uh, so I've put it together. I'm going to play it against a friend tonight, hopefully, and see how it goes, so. Really excited to see just what makes this deck so magical because it seems like such a plain, ordinary build. And maybe that's the magic of it. It's just finely tuned. It was version 2.1 for what it's worth. So we'll check it out and we'll see what happens. So pretty cool. All right, what else is going on in the Star Trek world? Well, uh, yeah, let's see. Hmm. Uh, not sure if there's anything really exciting going on. Uh, I did have a tournament last week. Uh, did I talk about that? Sealed deck. Uh, sealed deck on Sunday for second edition. Let's talk for the second edition players. Here you go. So this is great. <clears throat> so Al Schaefer, former ambassador to uh, Deep Space Nine region, has uh, has in his our, our, uh, arsenal, if you will, um, he's put together all the transwarp decks, or at least most of them, um, as physical cards. Um, and then made he what he did is he made TNG packs uh to go with them. So uh everyone got six TNG virtual packs plus their transwarp pack or their transwarp starter and had twenty minutes to build a deck and everyone had some fun. And uh special guest star Chris Sans to be showed up. He was visiting uh relatives in uh the Chicago city and had taken the train from there. We were joking about just how crappy the weather is going to be in his long, his own long journey home because he's a Minnesota guy, so it's a seven-hour drive. 
Anyway, so he shows up, and we had a lot of fun. I was given a Cardassian deck. Uh, we randomly assigned all of these things, of course. I had Cardassian. Uh, Maggie was unhappy with her choice of Terok Nor. Michael Moskop got something. Do we play? I can't remember now. Uh, anyway, uh, I didn't play him. Uh, Chris, Chris, he got the uh, he got, he had the most interesting deck and ended up winning the game or the whole thing because he was he got uh, yes he got Earth Space Nine. No, he got TNG guys. I think he got TNG guys, and he pulled a Phoenix and a Commandeer prototype in his packs. Now, if you go look at his tournament report, it shows that he never actually used it. I mean, he got it out but never did anyone score 100 points and have to score an additional 10 points to win the game. Everyone was just wiped out by his deck. It was so fast, and their dilemmas, everyone's dilemmas were whiffing against it, and he had particularly good dilemmas, actually. I think he had a slightly overbooked that hit uh, me a couple times, or once, and he pulled, and I'm going with one and two cost guys. There's absolutely no way I'm going with four four cost guys. It's not going to happen. So, anyway, so he got me plenty good at my missions, and I was unable to catch him, and no one else was, so congratulations to Chris for that. Uh, well done, obviously. Um, Moscup got second place, I got third place. I was able to win two of my games. I played also against Maggie, and I played against Ed? Did I play against Ed? It wasn't Ed. I have no, no, it was Brian. I played against Brian. And uh, he, what did, Brian was playing Ferengi. He ended up, um, he had a hard time against my dilemmas, it looked like. Uh, well, um, <laughs> it is it, one fun, th so let's, so enough of the tournament report. Uh, let's talk about the takeaways that came from this. So, what's interesting about Sealed Deck is the chance to play with cards you normally would never play with before or ever. Personally, what came up for me? Uh, I had a uh, arena. <laughs> uh, I hit a punishment box at a planet, and I did not have a, an equipment to discard, nor an officer with leadership or some ungodly skill, or whatever it was, honor or leadership, maybe it was. <clears throat> so um, one of my officers went in the punishment box. It was one of my copies of Oran. Was it Oran? Not Oran. It was uh, some guy. One of the better the one of the better goals from Premier that was uh, universal. Anyway, uh, so he's hanging out on the planet, and then uh, my arena hits against my arena dilemma hits against Maggie, and randomly selects someone. It's the founder leader. Founder leader has shit integrity and shit strength. Uh, pardon my language. A good cunning, but it doesn't. It, you need attributes. Greater, 18 or greater to not get hit by arena so I get to relocate that personnel to any planet so we actually go ahead and recreate the episode to some degree and have the founder leader face off against my Cardassian goal at some planet so it's just kind of funny they're just hanging out there uh, doing nothing basically so pretty freaking funny stuff so um, I would never play with arena though it's, I think it costs three and I mean I can see it's potential and sealed obviously uh, as it happened to work here, but I'm not going to play with that card in a constructed game. I'm sure there's some reason. Someone tell me why I should play with Arena, because I'm not. I'm not getting it. 
let's see. So I managed some interesting pulls. Uh, I had a sense of obligation, which is really interesting interrupt to get. And I also had an old feelings. A uh, sense of obligation was interesting because there were times where I said, oh, I would really like to... Uh, Maggie had a stir-crazy on the table, and uh, I contemplated that uh, if I was to use sense of obligation against it, that she uh, she would have been able to get three mission win for 100 points without dropping... She had Tarek Noor, so she wouldn't have had to discard any weapons at Krasari Rendezvous, and she had not played any weapons yet, and she, has, she was about to solve two missions, and I was about to solve my third. So on this turn... Uh, I think she had one more turn. The next turn, she could have solved her mission and, or was going to attempt to solve the third mission or could have had she solved... She hadn't solved the second mission yet. That's what it was. But I was worried she'd solve it and then solve the third in the same turn. So... No, I guess I wasn't. I wanted another turn. I guess I just assumed I would get another turn. Uh, so this was the time for me to play Sense of Obligation if I wanted to since it's in order. However... I did not want to give her that five points. So I ended up not playing it. She ended up forgetting about the stir crazy, which was to my stir crazy, or just not using it because she thought she'd get another turn out of the mission attempt. But uh, in the end, uh, it didn't get used. Uh, I was, it was tempting though, to take what would have been her needing to mill her deck for another hand weapon or any hand weapon. Uh, and so anyway, so yeah, uh, very interesting, uh, little play there. Uh, the other one was Old Feelings. The punishment box goes in core, and <laughs> I joked after the game that I was going to use it against uh, the punishment box, but I didn't want to stop two guys, because that's what it costs for the Old Feelings to use. Uh, I wanted to keep double teaming. What was fun was Perils of Peacemaking, I think was the... Was it Perils of Peacemaking? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, it's the one... It's an interrupt from Undiscovered Country that says... When you are about to, your opponent is about to encounter or hit, or when your dilemma is revealed, uh, play this interrupt, and your opponent has to search their deck for a copy of that dilemma and place it out of play once per game or something. Like that. You put this out of play or something. Or you put this under the deck, actually. So that's fine. So uh, I, I really was like, oh, I want to double team, so let's call out Timescape. So... Uh, she went with just one team to a mission. I put the timescape on top. It came out, and I said, hang on a second. I'm going to play this interrupt, and sure enough, there goes her top copy of timescape out of play. And she was like, you don't need, like, affiliation certain things to use that card, and you don't need... Uh, there's no cost to it. No, just, just use it. It was great. So uh, I don't think I ended up actually double-teaming that game, though. I would have if I needed to on another future turn, but it just didn't come to be. So, didn't matter. So, anyway, uh, fun pull for sealed deck. I, I, that's the only time it happened, and I don't think I ever got timescaped the entire tournament, so lucky me. But yeah, so uh, interesting interrupt. One I've never played with in sealed, in, in actual play, at least I don't think so. And uh, makes me, you know, curious to maybe use it in the future, so... Uh, so those three interrupts are actually pretty much the only things, except for a couple of non-aligned guides, that I pulled that I put into the deck. The deck on its own was pretty solid, actually. It did change two of the missions, though, because, ah, yes, I pulled, uh, a, oh, I put a lot of dilemmas in from the pulls, actually. Um, and uh, one of them was, 
uh, well-prepared defenses. Like, okay, cool. Well, I don't have any 40-point missions, but I could put th- four 35-point missions in here, and I will take a wild stab that no one else is going to do that. Or everyone's going to be doing dual headquarters. I did pull two headquarters, but the people I pulled for those headquarters just didn't make sense. So, yes, uh, that is a powerful, powerful dilemma. And it's so powerful that I changed the missions I used after checking that I could, in theory, solve those missions. And I could, in theory, solve all my missions. But um, <clears throat> So that's what I did. And, yeah, it ended up uh, helping me get third place. So, uh, yeah, so what's the lessons here? Uh, take into account all cards in your sealed pool as long as time permits. Do re-examine your deck after each game because you're allowed to. And look through your cards one more time and just make sure that uh, any unforeseen happenings that happened in the game you just played could, maybe they could have been prevented or done differently had these cards in your pool been there. And at the same time, it's sealed, so you don't want to bloat your deck too much. You just want to kind of keep things uh, small. Um, As with any card game, the smaller the deck, the more likely it is you're going to get a certain card out. Nah, this is no more true in uh, Magic than it is anywhere. And I'd love to kind of hear from someone what the reasoning is behind these European-style decks that are just so gosh darn large. And why, why are they so large? And are they really that good? I mean, I see them win all the time, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you're, how, are you, how are you even like doing anything? Are you downloading things you need? Is that the deal? Do you keep milling for certain cards? I just, I can't even fathom. So, so yeah, so um, it's sealed, though. And uh, make sure that you have a deck that can actually do something and isn't just hindered by uh, massive numbers of random cards you would never play with, even in sealed. So, so be careful what you choose, but do consider your options carefully. Uh, if that's not the most generic advice you've heard all day, then you're doing something wrong. Um, eh, what else is going on? So, yeah, the, the tournament was great. We had two games of triples afterwards. Um, I stole Michael Van Bremen's latest Nationals winning deck and uh, pared it down a little bit. I don't like playing with such large triples decks. I think his deck was 63. I took out 10 cards or something. And <clears throat> um, I did win the first game, which is great. I lost the second game, though, which goes to say that, you know, if it ain't broke, Maybe you shouldn't fix it, right? Uh, and that's that's kind of what I'm thinking here. Maybe I lost the game because I modified the deck. Maybe not. Maybe the, maybe it's just the randomness of triples. And you know, he had a pile of six, or I had six at his pod. We had seven. Uh, anything could have happened. So uh, triples is so random that it's it, even if you have something that's so-called broken, and not that this deck is broken. It's just a deck, right? It's a cycle. Try to cycle once. Um, one go, ten go, hundred stampede, a thousand sabotage, ten thousand go, hundred thousand replay. That's the majority of the deck. Oh, uh, yes, I have to. Just remembering my chores, I have to go drop off a package. Uh, I'm so excited. Amazon Prime for those who don't have it. Uh, we've bought light bulbs and uh, we bought some floor cleaner through them. Don't buy things that can break from Amazon, in my opinion, uh, they come broken. <laughs> light bulbs, right, they came broken, so I had to return them. And just go buy light bulbs at a hardware store or a grocery store, or somewhere normal. And that, 
And in Corbin's advice column today, he discusses things that have absolutely nothing to do with Trek. So, uh, what else? Um, oh yeah, well the floor cleaner leaked, so that's nice. We're going to turn that right now, so I have to go do that. So, we don't have to pay return shipping if it comes broken, so, yeah, Amazon Prime. Not a sponsor of this show, but ought to be. Uh, so triples, right? So uh, the deck, I never pulled the cycle off in all two games. Uh, I always didn't draw just one or two of the cards. However, several times I sabotaged, I did get a go or copy so I could get a go. So it's really unfortunate that in all the 10 rounds that we played, never got it to go off once. Uh, not to say I didn't win, obviously, and I had a lot of fun, and sabotage is an interesting card uh, type. It makes sense at a thousand at any other card denomination. Uh, I don't think it makes sense. Um, at any sa- uh, let me put it this way. I think copy is strictly better than sabotage because you have the choice of powers to play with. However, um, if sabotage is a power that's available, it should be available at denominations that copy isn't available at, such as one. 1,000, uh, 10,000, and 100,000. And I think there is a 100 Sabotage or a 10 Sabotage or something like that. I don't play with Sabotage, except in this deck. This is the first time I've played with Sabotage. And uh, as 1,000, it makes sense, right? You shouldn't ever be able to get past 1,000 unless you work for it. So 1,000 Recycle, right? Or, or 1,000 Rescue or 1,000 Sabotage. So instead of going the rescue route of having to take care of all of that and potentially getting recycled, instead Sabotage throws the dice and says, maybe I'll get lucky here, get that go, play the 10,000 go, play the 100,000 recycle, and keep it going. And then guess what? <laughs> so uh, our playgroup believes, and I haven't looked at the rules, but I just assume this is so, you can sabotage yourself. Who'd have thought, right? <clears throat> so... Uh, next time I play, since there, if, if I've got a 10,000 go in my hand and a 100,000, if I'm going to sabotage any player, it's going to be me, because half of my deck is go. So, and I, I'm, I'm told that Michael Van Bremen did not realize this until later in his games as well, but, um, yeah, it's a very viable strategy, and if you get the sabotage from a sabotage, then you just keep going, right? And, uh, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to hit a replay, you're going to hit a go, a sabotage or a replay. Any of those is perfectly fine in this deck. So it's a great deck, and I'm really interested to see what's going on. Um, I don't think it's... Maybe it's broken? Maybe it's broken. If anything's broken, this is probably the most broken thing I've seen in triples in a long time. But it's not... I can't say it's broken because there's an element of randomness to it. Now, you can control it to some degree if you can indeed sabotage yourself. So maybe if anything is broken here, it's the fact that you can sabotage yourself. So... It's uh, worth looking into. Anyway, I have rambled on long enough about Trek and non-Trek and Tribbles and non-Tribbles and all the things. So I'll end it here. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can give me a call at 267-CALL-CPJ or you can shoot me a PM on the message boards at CorbinQ27. Of course, you can also email me at CorbinJohnson at me.com. Until next time, this is Corbin Johnson signing off saying so long and thanks for all the Trek.